Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Well, it is my very great honor to introduce our guest speakers this morning, Corlin and Curtis Tatinger. It's very good to see your faces. <laughs> to actually be physically present in the space with you. So welcome here this morning. Thank you for your willingness to share your story with our SPAC family and community. I think I met you guys my very second Sunday here in September 2019, and I thought I knew instantly I wanted to be friends with you. And then we ended up being in life group together now for the last year and a half, and I'm really grateful for that opportunity to do life with you in the way that we've been able to. Um, yeah, I remember... Um, hearing your story, Coraline, years ago. Um, we have a mutual friend and your cousin. And so as your stories kind of unraveled over the last year, realizing that years ago, your cousin asked me and all of my friends to be praying for you, um, a young woman going through this tragedy in northern Alberta. And so it's kind of, it's a delight to know you and to hear your story and know it now and see what God has done. Um, yeah, I, I'm I wanted you guys just to know how much I do value and appreciate you and um, having been able to do life with you guys. You're very real people. There's really no pretense with you. And I really, I really like that about you. And Curtis, you do say almost a lot of borderline, like weird and inappropriate things. And that makes, you know, things even better. So <laughs> I'm sure a little bit of that will come out today. Um, but yeah, I, I think what's really evident in your lives is just that you've both fought hard for healing and wholeness in life and in your journeys with Jesus. You've gone to some pretty deep and significant places with him, and that's um, very real um, and very obvious in who you are and how you live. And so, um, yeah, we have a lot of respect for you as staff and appreciate your leadership uh, in life groups. And I'm going to pray for you as you share today just your story and where Jesus has brought you. Thank you, Father God, for Curtis and Corlin. Thank you just for their um, lives, for their being part of our SPAC family here and all that they bring. Um, they're just, yeah, you've created some really special human beings here in a very special family. And so we just want to dedicate this time now to you as they share and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would fill them with your peace and your presence that they would feel led by you as they open their mouths and share their story. And um, I pray for all that will hear that you would speak a timely word to each person, what they need to hear today. And uh, so we offer this time to you with gratitude. Amen. Thank you, Kimberly. Good morning. Uh, this is a story of what God has done in our lives. Specifically, this is how God brought us together in marriage and how he redeemed our frustration, waiting, and suffering. Uh, sometimes when I reflect on this, I find parts of the story completely ridiculous, uh, awe-inspiring, and, and even a bit far-fetched. But I like that about God. Uh, so my life and Coraline's life uh, almost touched many times, but we were just a friend or two apart for about 10 years, actually. Uh, so let's step back a bit. Uh, in my early 20s, I was feeling rather dissatisfied with my job and my relationship with Jesus. And so I decided to make a change. And so I signed up for a YWAM DTS. I went and lived on a ship in the South Pacific for six months. 
uh, trying to sort out my relationship with God. Um, when I left, I was feeling uh, like I was kind of hitting a glass ceiling with God in a lot of ways. I would pray and talk to him, um, but I didn't feel like I ever really felt anything back. I didn't feel like we talked. I feel like I talked, and then God was silent, um, which in a relationship is pretty tough if someone's always silent. So that was probably the biggest thing that I wanted to uh, sort out uh, when I left Canada for a few months. So during the lecture phase of, of the DTS, there was uh, one week in particular where uh, a really uh, wonderful lady came to, uh, to help us to hear God's voice. So I was really excited about this week because um, this was one of the primary reasons why I had gone to DTS is to, to try to figure out how to hear God's voice. If I could hear God's voice and if I could hear it in any kind of specific way instead of um, the very general ways or, um, yeah, general ways that we can hear him through the Bible sometimes. Uh, so during that week, um, they taught us to hear God's voice to start with by journaling. So we would ask God a specific question and write it down, and then we would uh, just write everything that we heard in our thoughts after that. Um, God doesn't usually speak in an audible voice, but he speaks in our thoughts. So that was how we learned how to hear God's voice. So uh, a few weeks later, there was a part of the uh, DTS where we uh, were asked to spend a few days in fasting and prayer uh, and ask God if he had any specific life themes for us. So these were, you know, big themes for that were going to be um, important parts of our lives. So during those three days, uh, I remember one day I was sitting in my bunk and I'd always loved the book of Job, um, something about the way that Job deals with his suffering and with his friends, and then the um, super intense part at the end where God is speaking with Job. I've always loved that book. So I was reading through there, and God drew my attention to a particular chapter, chapter 29, which I hadn't paid too much attention to before. I never really felt it was one of the central or critical parts of the story, but uh, God drew my attention to this chapter uh, during these days of, of fasting and prayer when we're asking for these life themes. So uh, there was a, a particular part that stood out to me, so I'm, I'm going to read it. So this is uh, Job chapter 29, verses 11 to uh, 16. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I took up the case of the stranger." So during uh, the time when I got this, I had written this down, um, and I took this to mean that justice and 
caring for the poor were to be themes of my life, um, which I believe is true, but I had no idea at the time how much more depth there was in this. So jump forward uh, a few years, um, about eight years to my late 20s, and I found my season of life growing long in the tooth. By season, uh, what I really mean is I was growing of uh, really weary of being a single man. I was living with four roommates, two of whom were recently divorced, which meant that we spent a lot of time discussing relationships. <laughs> Probably more time doing that than anything else. Uh, as we processed what God was doing in each of our lives, I found myself dealing with the same questions everyone feels when they're longing for something to happen that hasn't happened yet. So in my case, it, I was asking God, you know, lots of why questions. Why am I single? Where are all the good women? What am I doing wrong? So one day I was cheerfully feeling frustrated with everything. And I decided to sit down and really listen and, and give God some space to speak, to take some time and to listen. Uh, so I got out my journal and you know, I wrote down, God, why am I single still? Uh, and I seemed to hear God say that I was being held in reserve. So that's a really short phrase. And it seemed to mean that I was being held in reserve for something. And so I kept listening and kept kind of processing that. And I, I didn't get any further clarification or more depth than that. God gave me the phrase. There was the words. That's what I got. Um, so it did give me some peace. It's nice to hear from God, but I didn't really understand what it meant. And it was a very open-ended thing. I don't know why, but God seems to only ever tell you one step at a time. He rarely seems to lay out the whole path. So all of that, all of that happened before I met Coraline. Um, I didn't know her at all or wasn't involved in her life at all uh, during this time. So I'll let her take over now. So um, around the same time um, when Curtis was questioning his singleness, I was also questioning my singleness. Um, but God did something different for me. In my late 20s, he answered my prayers when this cowboy by the name of Jesse Frankie came into my life and swept me off my feet. And within a year, uh, he'd convinced me to marry him and move to Grand Prairie. I left my life in Edmonton behind, and we were beginning a new life together in Grand Prairie. Um, we had a blissful first year of marriage. And by our first anniversary, we were celebrating um, that we were going to become a family of three. I remember feeling like my life was finally on track, um, thanking God that he was faithful, and feeling like my patience had been rewarded with the gift of this amazing husband. March 7th, 2013, started as a pretty ordinary day. Jesse and I had been married for 15 months at this point. I was just over six months pregnant, and I was about to, head out, to the, head out the door for some prenatal tests. As I started to leave, I felt this little nudge that I should go back and say goodbye to him. So I turned around and went back up to uh, the room where he was still sleeping, 
I kissed him goodbye, told him I loved him, and continued on with my day. But what I didn't know then was that actually was goodbye. And it was the last time I would see his face. That afternoon, an RCMP officer came to my workplace and informed me that Jesse had been killed in an explosion at his workplace that morning. I crumpled to the floor in shock. Overcome with fear, my mind became a turbulent storm of questions. What am I going to do? God, how could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to our child? I trusted you. What did I do wrong? What did Jesse do wrong? I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. I did things your way, and this is my reward? Why? 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 In the midst of this, the police officer kept asking me who they could call to come pick me up, and I couldn't come up with someone who wasn't four hours away. I've never felt more alone. I went through the coming days and restless nights in what felt like a dizzying, thick cloud of fog, numbness, and at times extreme despair. But two days after Jesse died, still very much in the fog of shock, I awoke with a very clear memory. And this memory uh, was from a Bible study that I had done five years earlier. And it was Jesus' conversation with Peter at the Last Supper. And so this is from Luke 22, 31 to 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So as I awoke with this scripture on my heart, I felt God speaking to me. Now I know the idea of Satan being allowed to sift you doesn't exactly sound comforting. It's pretty scary. Yet when I heard this, I felt God's love and reassurance that what was happening to me wasn't a punishment. I remembered that sometimes God allows us to be sifted in this life that our faith might be tested. And then I got to the second part of the scripture where Jesus tells Peter that he has prayed for him and that the purpose for this isn't for his faith to fail. I recalled how Jesus knew even before Peter's sifting that it was going to happen. He was praying about this situation even before Satan got to have his hands dirty. So if God was allowing me to be sifted, I had Jesus on my side praying for me even before it happened. Now, a side note, I'm not suggesting that everything that goes wrong in our lives is Satan's work. We live in a broken and fallen world, and I can't even begin to know why things always happen the way they do. But the Bible does say that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. So 
no matter the cause of the hardships in life, we have an enemy that wants to see our trials as meaningless and cause for defeat. Now, I'd always believed that God was in control of everything. I trusted that he had good plans for my life. And suddenly, I felt like I'd been betrayed by my best friend. I knew he could have protected Jesse from the accident. I believed that he... I even believed that he could raise Jesse from the dead. But this almost made it harder to take, because if he could do it, then why didn't he? Romans 8.28, out of the Amplified Bible, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. I was pretty familiar with the working things out for my good part, saying it in church. So how was being widowed good for me? But Romans 8 doesn't say God is going to make all things good for me. The things that this verse refers to are not necessarily good things. They might be bad, but God will work them out and redeem them for our good and ultimately his purpose and his glory. Nothing is meaningless in him. The very things that, de that the devil would use to weaken could be the very things that God uses to strengthen and prepare his children for his purpose. So for me, I needed to stop seeing things in the physical and ask God to help me use my spiritual eyes. What if the good was a deeper knowledge of God? Job understood that. After his hardships, he said to God, I have heard of you only by the hearing of the ear, but now my spiritual eyes see you. That's Job 42.5. And my paraphrase of that is, I had a lot of knowledge stored up in my mind about you. But now my heart understands you in a new way, a revelation that gives me vision of who you are. But I wasn't quite there yet. I remember cycling through songs on my phone, searching for comfort, and landing upon a familiar worship song from the Psalms. I will bless the Lord forever. I will trust him at all times. He has delivered me from all fears. He has set my feet upon a rock. I will not be moved, and I will say of the Lord, you are my shield, my strength, my portion, deliverer, my shelter, strong tower, my very present help in time of need. As the words washed over me, I wondered, do I really believe this? Am I really going to bless God at all times? And I realized that I had a choice to call God a liar or a fake and walk away or say, God, I don't understand and I don't like this, but I still believe you are who you say you are. At my husband's funeral, I very publicly chose to stand and trust the Lord to that very worship song. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make but in that moment, I felt my fear dissolve and what I can only describe 
as the peace that passes all understanding. The anticipation of our baby's arrival was overshadowed as I focused on sorting out finances, planning a funeral, um, sorting out my husband's affairs, all complicated by the lack of a will or life insurance. And still, God was faithful. I regularly received financial support from many different sources. I didn't even know what a doula was, and God provided me with an experienced Christian doula to support both my, my, me and my mother during um, an emotional labor and delivery. Our son, Jesse Charles Frankie, named after his dad, was born just 11 weeks after his father's death and five weeks after my 30th birthday. He was the best gift my husband could have ever given me. Baby Jesse and I moved home to Spruce Grove when he was uh, four months old. By God's grace and generosity, um, the generosity of his people, I was given the gift of two years at home with my precious boy as I rebuilt my life. And grief can be very isolating and lonely. Um, but God remained faithful in those hours. He redeemed them as I wrestled with my heartache. This passage in Matthew 11:2 is an example of some of those moments. Now when John heard in prison, this is about John the Baptist, uh, about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see, hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John's entire life calling was to prepare the way for the Messiah. Scripture tells us that when he baptized Jesus, the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and a voice, God's voice, proclaimed from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm not sure if it gets much more clear than that as to who Jesus is. And yet, alone in a jail cell, John begins to question his calling, and his God. Are you God or not? If you are, why aren't you doing something about this? I could relate to John. Jesus was doing miracles for everyone else. Where was my miracle? Blessed are you if you are not offended with me. Was I going to trust Jesus even when I had expected a different story for my life than the one he was giving me? But you see, our God, he isn't a God who lords over us, exulting in our pain, grief, and suffering. We serve a God who has lived it. Isaiah 53 says Jesus was despised, rejected, forsaken by men. He knew sorrow, pain, grief, and sickness. Yet he bears our grief, carries our sorrow and pain. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he submitted to God's will. He did not complain. 
He was judged unfairly, and it was for our sins, my sins. It was us, me, that deserved to pay the penalty. Isaiah 9 calls Jesus wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. And I didn't think there was someone more qualified to walk with me in my grief. So I chose Jesus over my desire to know why. As I watched my little boy grow into a toddler, I deeply struggled with the thought of him not having a dad in his life. I couldn't picture falling in love or getting married again. I had many tense conversations with God about the future. I was worried that life was always going to feel like plan B. I remember telling God, don't think I'm going to settle for second best. If there's ever going to be another husband for me, he has to be able to love Jesse like he's his own son. But that seemed, I don't know, pretty impossible. And yet, when it felt like nothing was happening, God was at work in the details of a new story he was writing. So um, around that same time, I began to get involved in a ministry in Edmonton called Resurgence, which Coraline attended as well. We had briefly met at a New Year's party in 2015 uh, where she caught my eye. I noticed she was both beautiful and intelligent, which is just my kind of woman. Soon after that, I was at a service hosted by Resurgence, and as the service was wrapping up, I noticed Coraline sitting in front of me. I decided to strike up a conversation with her and ask her how her day was going. She mentioned she was having a rough day on that particular Saturday, as it was the second anniversary of her husband's death. Uh, I had felt well sad for her, uh, so I asked one of our mutual friends to uh, just anonymously send her some, some flowers on my card because uh, she, I didn't have any of her details. Uh, about eight months after that, we were leading a small group together, which gave me a chance to spend a bit of time with her. During the six weeks we led that small group together, I decided that this was a lady I wanted to get to know more, but it wasn't quite the right time yet. So I was at a retreat with the same ministry, Resurgence, and there was an altar call regarding fear. Um, I knew I needed to let go of my anxiety about the future being second best. So I responded and prayed with a friend and released that fear. Curtis was also at this retreat, and at the end of the weekend, he asked me on a date. And so I said I was open to getting to know him. I was a bit late to our first date, which was embarrassing. I managed to get to the third date, though. Uh, where we got to some uh, more exciting questions. So the first question, and I was kind of hard on Curtis, the first question I asked him was, how do you feel about the fact that I've been married before? I didn't feel super great about that. Um, but as I processed that further, I knew that if I had switched places with Jesse Sr. and it was, you know, me that um, had passed away. I knew that I would have wanted my wife to remarry and, and find herself a good husband. So that gave me some peace about kind of moving forward with her. 
Then the second question I asked him was, how do you feel about the fact that I have a son? This was something I had processed again quite a bit. You probably shouldn't ask out a woman with a son if you haven't considered that, you know, you're not only dating her, but also in a way you're, you're dating her son as well. So I was thinking about that one day in the shower and I was thinking about, you know, my season of life and how I kind of felt like I was behind where I was supposed to be. And I realized that she already had, you know, done most of the hard work of raising Jesse through being a baby and the sleepless nights and all that terribleness. And she was basically just giving me a son who is three, year old, three years old. I'm like, here, here's, here's a three-year-old. You can, like, wonderful. I, I got to skip most of the hard work of raising uh, that little guy and got to enjoy uh, one of the funnest seasons of life with a three-year-old little man. And it kind of felt like I was getting three years of my life back in a way. Uh, it was like someone had already made an investment and now I got to have, you know, that maturation and it was it was just being given to me. I was like, wow, this is, this is actually a pretty big bonus. Um, so um, when Curtis responded this way, um, I kind of expected him... I don't know, to answer badly, and then I'd be like, okay, done with this. She thought I was a loser. <laughs> but he answered that way, and I felt this little nudge in my heart that there might be something there and that I needed to continue and give this a chance. But this was pretty new territory for both of us. I didn't know what dating as a single mom was supposed to look like, and he didn't know how he was supposed to date a single mom. Um, but one thing that set my mind at ease was when Curtis and I had led that small group together, he had already met Jesse and played with him. And so there wasn't this, like, when should he meet Jesse? Is this okay? Um, they had already met, and Jesse just figured Curtis was his friend. And anytime he was around Curtis or Curtis came over, he was like, oh, Curtis is here to play with me. It's a play date. Um, so that really set my mind at ease. So we dated for uh, about eight months, and we got engaged and were married on January 14th, 2017, which was a good day. <laughs> Before we got married, though, I was rereading some journals, and I was rereading um, some, some of these theme, life theme verses, and I was rereading Job 29, and... As I was reading it, it all of a sudden popped out to me that in this passage, it specifically talks about making a widow's heart sing and being a father to the fatherless. And it was like, whoa. God, were you doing stuff 10 years ago before I knew this woman, before she had married her first husband, before she was pregnant, before she had her son you, you, oh, and that was kind of a holy moment for me as I realized that it seems like God was working out the redemption of mine and Coraline's story 
10 years before anything happened, before we knew each other, before anything. Um, yeah, so that was kind of a holy moment for me. And then as I was reading further in my journal, I came across um, those words I had received a few years ago about being held in reserve. And then all of a sudden with Coraline and with Jesse, that made sense too. And I was like, oh, I was waiting. I was waiting for her. I was waiting for this something to happen but I was waiting for her. Uh, and all of a sudden that, that word made sense. And it seemed like God was holding on to me for a time when Coraline and Jesse and I needed each other. Um, he was redeeming our stories a, a decade before anything had happened. So we just want to praise God for the way that he's brought our family together since being married. Um, God's given us a couple more kids, Iris and Titus. And we want to thank God for his, his work and his presence in our life. And there's something I want to read to close here, some verses from Jeremiah. So it says, remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you transgressors. Remember what happened long ago. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and the ancient times from what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and all my good pleasure I will accomplish. I summon a bird of prey from the east, a man for my purpose from a far off land. Truly I have spoken and truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it and surely I will do it. And that's all we have to share this morning. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.